Ghislaine Maxwell finds a job in prison, and you won't believe what she's doing for work. How to fight facial recognition. We've done a lot on this lately. We talked about facial recognition, the dangers, and we now have a way you can fight back. Got that coming up. And equity makes things very unequal. You will not believe this idiotic story. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Wednesday. We're halfway through the week. The week is uh, halfway done. Hello on Facebook, rumble.com, YouTube, and twitch.tv. We are live. I say it into this microphone and it comes out on your laptop or handphone or cell phone or wherever you may be watching. We're live across the planet in all 25 time zones. And uh, also, of course, our show, you can see all the video replays we record and we, um, we put it out there across all four platforms. It's there for you if you want to go back and look at our 311 shows. Wow. We've done 311 shows. Unbelievable. Uh, by the way, just before we went live, just seconds before, a plane... I live not too far away from an airport. We're used to the planes. It's far enough away that they're pretty high in the sky by the time they're taken off. And the takeoff direction is right over my house. One just went over that I thought, okay, we're not going to make the show tonight because this thing's going to crash into the house. It was, it rumbled this building. That's how low this thing was. Earlier today, by the way, a couple of military jets buzz the house, which I love that. That's very cool. And you kind of expect that when you see the military, you know, the jets that fly up, fly over. But this thing, it was close. It was too close for comfort. All right, let's get you updated on our favorite furry friend. It's Miko. The Miko update. I got to really stop singing to the theme song because it just doesn't work <laughs> okay. she's great yeah she had a good day today uh, we actually had a shortened walk today because uh, we just uh, we had lots of things going on and we had to cut our walk short but uh, this <laughs> after I get out of bed she likes nothing more than to lay down exactly where I am in bed. And that's what she does. And this is what she looks like. Every morning when I get up, she's back in the bed. <laughs> just she, uh, she just, I don't know, maybe it's the J smell or something. I have no idea. But uh, also, earlier tonight, where is that? I thought I posted that. What happened to my post? Did I not post that? Ah, there it is. Okay, here we go. Hang on. Let me just uh, call it up and switch. There we go. Yes, this is Miko trying to eat her probiotics. She loves cookies. She will do anything for a cookie. She is such a beggar. If you're in the kitchen where we keep the cookies, she will sit down and stare up at the cookie drawer, the dog cookies, until you give in. And, of course, we love her so much, we always give in. 
But we keep trying to call her probiotics. We give her two types. We give it to her every day. We always call them cookies because I figure, you know, she knows what cookies are. She will put up a fight. Eventually, she does eat them when she realizes she's not getting the kind of cookies she wants. But this is what she looks like every day when we try and give her these probiotics. She refuses. So our Miko update is brought to you by BarkBox, BarkBox.com. It's a monthly subscription service for your dog. And you will get every month when you sign up a box full of themed toys, treats, and a dog chew. It comes once a month. You can get a great savings if you sign up using our link. It's BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O. Links in our show notes tonight, as always. And uh, every month you get a couple of toys sized right for your dog. You can check that when you place the order. Uh, Also, you'll get a couple of bags of treats that are all natural, all good for you. And you can also specify if your dog has any allergies so they won't send you, you know, if your dog is allergic to beef or chicken or seafood or whatever, they'll make sure you don't get that. And you get a dog chew also every month. It'll keep you in toys and chews and treats until the next month when your new box of BarkBox comes and you can smile all over again. You will get a free month if you sign up for a multi-month subscription by using our link, BarkBox.com slash Miko. And uh, if you sign up for six months, you get seven. Twelve months, you get 13. You can, by the way, just sign up for one month. Go ahead if you want to try that. Try them out. Check it out. You'll find out they are as good as I tell you they are. And we don't just bring anybody on this show. We check them out first. And this company is great. Amazing customer service. 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you're ever not happy with something, you let them know. They'll make it right. BarkBox.com slash Miko is our special link for our special offer. And do check it out. BarkBox.com slash Miko. Yes, I'm wearing my Life is Random shirt tonight. I, Because after the week or two that I've had, I'm living proof. <laughs> Life is random. Oh, yeah. All right. Ghislaine Maxwell. No doubt you know her. Oh, you've heard of her. She is, uh, for lack of a better description, the madam for Jeffrey Epstein. She is in prison for 20 years, or whatever part of that she winds up serving. Um, And uh, she is basically a child sex trafficker. Now, the list of clients was sealed by this idiot judge in the case. It has never been revealed. It needs to be revealed. People are asking and demanding for it to be revealed, but it will likely never be revealed because the people who can authorize it to be revealed are probably on the list. Anyway, uh, child sex trafficker and Clinton friend, got to throw that in there, Ghislaine Maxwell is now hosting etiquette classes in prison, touting high moral standards. Not kidding. There she is with the scumbag Epstein, who, by the way, didn't kill himself. She's 61 years old. She's gone from grooming underage victims with the now-dead pedophile Jeffrey Epstein to grooming female felons in prison. 
uh, article in the Daily Mail, link to this article is in our show notes, by the way. Uh, the convicted child sex trafficker and pedophile who used to hobnob with Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, the list goes on, is now hosting etiquette, etiquette classes for fellow inmates. She was arrested in July 2020, found guilty of grooming and trafficking minors December 29, 2021. She's been sentenced to 20 years in prison, uh, noting she had sexually exploited and abused multiple underage girls with Epstein over the course of at least a decade. U.S. Circuit Court Judge Allison Nathan sentenced her to 20 years, noting she had, okay, we just did that. In July, she was transferred to a federal correction institute in Tallahassee, Florida. It is a low-security federal corrections institute, 820 male and female inmates. I assume they're not mixed together. The New York Post noted that unlike her previous prison experience in New York, where she was subject to solitary confinement, most of the time she enjoys plenty of latitude in her new home in Florida. In addition to getting to wear dresses, Maxwell is permitted weekly visits from adults and children. Mm. She takes full advantage of the recreation, leisure, and social programs they offer at the facility. And she's begun teaching women how to conduct themselves like proper ladies. Ghislaine Maxwell. High, maintain high moral standards. Attain success like her former acquaintance, Hillary Clinton. Flyers reportedly spotted inside the prison indicate that Maxwell's course details the three principles of etiquette, focusing on respect, consideration, and honesty. According to a source at the prison, it's a four-week program run by this pedophile scumbag and teaches felons how to talk, dress, and comport themselves in business settings. Inmates who complete the course get 15 days taken off their sentences, and according to the First Step Act, and an insider told the Daily Mail that the pedophile's etiquette course is less about balancing books on your head and being ladylike, and more about having confidence in yourself, how to behave, Talk in a professional manner. The secrets of success in the corporate world. And that sort of thing. It is not clear if the professional manner Maxwell's promoting to fellow inmates is the same with which she perpetrated. As U.S. Attorney Damian Williams put it, heinous crimes against children. Victims were made to feel indebted believed Maxwell and Epstein were trying to help them. Maxwell also normalized and facilitated sexual abuse for a victim by discussing sexual topics. Ms. Maxwell's message is, so what if you're a woman and convicted felon? You're not a second-class citizen. She's an unlikely role model, but she's very passionate about this, says the prison insider. Okay, I wonder if she's getting time taken off of her sentence for teaching the course. 
And how about the list, folks? We want the list. Release Epstein's client list. Woman gets convicted, sent to prison for 20 years for child trafficking to nobody? Interesting. All right, this is a great story. It's uh, MIT, which is amazing because, you know, MIT, Boston, is about as woke as it gets. However, not so woke as you might think, MIT goes against the grain and releases a stunning statement endorsing free speech. Yes. Surprise. The Massachusetts Institute of Technology endorses students' liberty to engage in offensive speech. Officially. In contrast to uh, castigations of hate speech, increasingly common notion that hate speech isn't free speech, bullcrap, MIT has decided to side with the Constitution. December 21st, a little less than a month ago, the Cambridge Private Land Grant University Research University released a free expression statement. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, free expression is a necessary, though not sufficient, condition of a diverse and inclusive community. We, I love this. We cannot have a truly free community of expression if some perspectives cannot be heard and others cannot. That can be heard and others cannot. Learning from a diversity of viewpoints and from the deliberation, debate, and dissent that accompany them are essential ingredients of academic excellence. Yes. Thank you, MIT. Read the rest of the statement. It's brilliant. The school makes clear things like direct threats, harassment, plagiarism, other speech that falls outside of the boundaries of the First Amendment will not be protected. It expects a collegial and respectful learning and working environment. But even robust disagreements shall not be liable to official censure or disciplinary action. Man, universities these days are just bastions of woke crap. And great, great to see MIT putting a foot down and supporting the First Amendment to our Constitution. This is brilliant. Check out the whole article. It's in our show notes tonight. And uh, wow, congratulations to MIT. All right. Hey, we did a bunch in the last few shows about facial recognition, digital ID. You know, we hate all that crap. We want to fight against it. And I found something for you. If you too, like me, cannot stand the whole idea of a digital ID, retina scanners, facial recognition, you know, your walk actually can identify you. Even if they can't see your face, the way you walk, AI has found a way to figure out if they have a a video of you walking that they know is you confirmed, and then a, say, a security camera video of somebody walking away or walking, even if you can't see the face, they can match your gait, as they call it, or walk, 
with the footage and tell if it's you. Not 100%, but relatively accurate. Now check this out. I'm going to buy some of this stuff. Inventions that are fighting the rise of facial recognition technology. Yes! From LED-equipped visors to transparent masks, these inventions aim to thwart the cameras that are involved in this ridiculous facial recognition. If you're concerned about it, listen up. Some designers are creating fashion for a somewhat counterintuitive purpose, not to get noticed. In the Netherlands, check out this guy's cool name, Jeep Van Leeuwenstein designed a transparent surveillance exclusion mask and take a look at what it does. Check out this picture. You see, it, it's, it's got like curved parts and it basically breaks up your face into segments. And a wearer's face for facial recognition cameras would not be able to do anything with this data. But other people, of course, could recognize you if you were wearing this, this mask. It's a clear, looks like maybe, I don't know, some plastic thing. But this is cool and a great way to say, screw you, family-friendly middle finger, as Dan Bongino says. This is brilliant. It forms like a lens and possible to become unrecognizable for facial recognition. It's transparent, so you don't lose your identity, your facial expressions, and still possible to interact with people around you. In Japan, Isayo Ichizen, professor at National Institute of Informatics in Tokyo, designed the Privacy Visor, which is fitted near, uh, with uh, near-infrared LED lights. When you wear it, the software can't tell there's a human face behind the lights according to his tests. Check it out. Look at that. Very cool. Near-infrared LED, not lit. And you'll see there the camera is able to detect the face. When they are lit up, there's the lights. Detection failed. The green box indicates they've detected a face. This, nope, can't detect it. I love this. In the UK, artists in the Dazzle Club have walked the streets of London with their faces painted in blue, red, and black stripes, uh, attempting to hide their faces from unbelievable. In, the UK, in London, there are 420,000 CCTV cameras. Almost a half a million CCTV cameras only some of which which are using facial recognition technology. There's always been something subversive about streetwear. One of the new areas of subversion is definitely surveillance, and in particular, facial recognition. Uh, an art fashion professor at Canada's Ryerson University. Uh, there you go. In September, a British court ruled that the use of facial recognition technology doesn't violate privacy and human rights. Yeah, whatever. Idiot court systems. So there you go. They're painting their faces up in an attempt to fool uh, the surveillance. Anti-surveillance apparel apparently includes shiny fabrics that reflects thermal radiation, radiation that drones search for, uh, beanie hats that confuse uh, the system arc face, 
and Hyperface, which makes clothing with patterns that confuse AI into focusing on what you're wearing instead of on your face. This is so cool. Talks about facial recognition in the U.S. It's an article from freethink.com. The link is in our show notes. And I strongly encourage you to read it. And don't just read it. Use it. Because once they got your face, they got you. Don't give them your face. Don't give them your data. Don't give them your digital ID. Don't get a digital ID. They're going to make it impossible. They're going to absolutely make it impossible. You are going to be forced under the guise of, oh, it will make your life so much easier. It'll be so convenient. Yeah. All right. We got more woke crap going on here. This, man, I'm telling you. The headline is, Outraged Parents Call Out Another Virginia School for Delaying Students' Academic Awards in the Name of Equity. You know, like participation trophies? Everybody gets something. There is no first, second, third place, and after that, you're out. Everybody. Participation trophies. The school simply doesn't want kids to succeed. Outraged parents sounded the alarm this week after discovering another distinguished Virginia school with an equity policy. Delayed notification of students' merit awards. In December, Fairfax County, Thomas Jefferson High, for science and technology, which has an equal outcomes for every student without exception policy. So even if you are a slob, slack-off, do-nothing moron, you get the same whatever as the guy who or gal who studies their ass off, spends all their free time in homework, getting all their assignments done. You just sit there like a slob, a fat goofball on your butt, doing nothing, and you get treated exactly the same way as the person who works their behind off to succeed. This policy got backlash from upset parents. It was discovered school uh, officials intentionally withheld students' merit awards, the, the awards for people who actually do the work. The firestorm from parents ultimately prompted uh, the school to notify students who had earned national merit awards. They weren't telling them because of equity. Don't want to make the morons who refuse to do the work feel bad because it might hurt your feelings. Oh, come here, let me give you a cuddle. Idiots. Parents argued the delayed notification robs students of scholarship and college admission opportunities. Damn right. They released a statement claiming that the delay resulted from human error. PCPs initiated an investigation into the circumstances about how it could occur. Current understanding is the delay was a unique situation due to human error. Yeah, sounds like a cover-up to me. Unbelievable. So these kids, they're national merit scholars. 
and these kids didn't find out about it. And once they did, or they were forced to tell them, it was too late. They could have been applying for scholarships, college entrance, months in advance. And in some cases, it would have been too late to apply. They missed out. This is the kind of woke crap, equity, that makes nobody equal. Absolutely, ridiculously unfair. Here's another one. Check this one out. Hold on, I just got to dump this thing. Okay, here you go. Uh, With schools ditching merit for diversity, a lot of the high achievers, the folks who do put in the work, who do study, bust their butts to get ahead and to do well, well, their families, their parents are saying, see ya. Families of high achievers, head for the door. Alex Shilkrut has deep roots in Manhattan, where he's lived 18, 16 years, works as a physician, sends his daughter to a public elementary school for gifted kids, coveted District 2. Good life, but he regretfully says he's probably going to leave the city, as well as a job he likes in a Manhattan hospital because of sweeping changes in October that ended selective emissions in New York City middle schools. Merit-based schools, which screen students who meet their high standards, will permanently switch to a lottery for admissions. So, no longer does it matter how hard you work, how much effort you put in, how well you do. You're a number in a lottery. And you, the high achiever, the hard worker, have the same chance as the idiot slob who lives in mom's basement. Ma, the meatloaf! Anyway, this guy's fed up, and he's seriously considering moving out of the city and going to places where they maintain the merit-based not equity-based system. Check out this article. It's also in our show notes tonight. It's a great story. It's from uh, Real Clear Investigations, and it is absolutely brilliant. You really do need to check it out. All right. Got one more piece of good news for you because we always wrap up with some good news. And Gene, thank you so much. Gene Moser, who is a uh, one of the oldest and dearest friends I have. We went to school together. Um, I think she still lives. No, she she does not live in Cornwall anymore. My hometown, Cornwall, Connecticut. Um, but, uh, if uh, she's, she's a brilliant, a brilliant lady. We love her to death. We completely disagree on politics, by the way. We could not be more opposite directions. We are polar opposites when it comes to anything politics. But that doesn't mean we're not still friends. I love you to bits, Jean. And I love your posts. They always make me smile or think. And like I said, there is no reason you have to agree or disagree with anything and everything I say. It absolutely doesn't matter. I hope you have an opposite opinion and I hope you let me know about it. You want to email me, send me a PM. I'm always happy to talk to anybody watching the show. Show at jsheldon.com is our show email. Show at jsheldon.com. You want to send something along? 
or you can PM me. I'm on all the platforms. I'm on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is at it's J Sheldon, I T S J Sheldon. Anyway, Gene, love you a bit. And thank you for sharing this. It originally came from Carlos Whitaker. You go to the grocery store. You want to check out. What's the first thing you do? You look for the shortest line. You hopefully, you know, maybe you don't have a few enough items for express. So you got to go to the normal lane. And you hope you get a short one. Well, how about a lane at the grocery store where on purpose you look for the longest line, the slowest lane? This is a picture from a Dutch supermarket, and I love this. You can choose to go there or not, but it, it has what, they, what they're calling a slow checkout lane. Cashiers will take their time scanning items. They'll strike up a conversation with you, with people who are checking out, like what's happening here in this picture. Giving What it does is it gives the elderly, maybe the lonely, often unseen members of society, a chance to be seen, a chance to interact with people. And it's clearly marked. It is the slow checkout lane. So when you go there, unless you didn't read the sign, you'll be prepared. But while you're checking out, while he's scanning your items and bagging your groceries and you're paying, he takes his time, strikes up a conversation, has a chit-chat. They beta-tested this in a few stores, and it was so successful, they are now implementing it in over 200 of their stores. I think this is a brilliant idea. You don't have to go in this line if you don't want to. If you're in a hurry, knock yourself out. Nowadays, with this ridiculous self-checkout crap. I used that the other night, by the way. It's still a mess. Be human, see humans, free humans. Jumbo Supermarket is the name. Now, you can't find one unless you, unless you're... you're uh, Dutch. But like I said, what a brilliant piece of news. How cool is that? The slow checkout lane. Take your time. Have a chat. Talk about the weather, politics, whatever it is, while they slowly but surely check you out at the grocery store. That's so cool. Love it. The articles of the, I mean, it's not a big article. It's just a picture. It's a post from Facebook from uh, Carlos Whitaker and Gene Mosier. Thank you, Gene. Uh, but it's, it's damn cool. It's absolutely brilliant. Check it out. You want to share it on your social media, perhaps? Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, wow, amazing. All right, what else we got happening here? We have our book, don't we? Mm-hmm. It is time to move on over. To White Fang, we've been uh, reading books on this show for a long time. We do uh, classic books. They come from the Gutenberg Project, gutenberg.org. And uh, we've done The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, The Little Prince, uh, Alice in Wonderland, uh, you name it. So many great classic books. We read them a chapter or part of a chapter at a time until we get all the way through the book. And we start a new one. We always end the show with this, and uh, we get a lot of people who enjoy it say thanks. 
You're welcome. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I love reading it as much as uh, I hope you like listening. Well, we've been doing White Fang from Jack London, first published back in 1906, a very long time ago. And it really is an amazing book. It looks at life from the viewpoint of the animals. In this particular case, the wolves. And uh, if you've been following along, the story's gotten just more interesting as we go. They had alerted to the sound of dogs when we last left. To their ears came the sounds of dogs wrangling and scuffling, the guttural cries of men, the sharper voices of scolding women, and once the shrill and plaintive cry of a child. With the exception of the huge bulks of the skin lodges, little could be seen save the flames of the fire, broken by the moments of intervening bodies, smoke rising slowly on the quiet air. But to their nostrils came the myriad smells of an Indian camp, carrying a story that was largely incomprehensible to one eye, but every detail of which the she-wolf knew. She was strangely stirred, sniffed, and sniffed with an increasing delight. But old One-Eye was doubtful. He betrayed his apprehension and started tentatively to go. She turned and touched his neck with her muzzle in a reassuring way, and then regarding the camp again. A new wistfulness was in her face, but it was not the wistfulness of hunger. She was thrilling to a desire that urged her to go forward, to be closer to that fire, to be squabbling with the dogs, and to be avoiding and dodging the stumbling feet of men. One eye moved impatiently beside her. Her unrest came back upon her. She knew again her pressing need to find the thing for which she searched. She turned and trotted back into the forest to the great relief of one eye who trotted a little to the fore until they were well within the shelter of the trees. As they slid along, noiseless as shadows in the moonlight, they came upon a runway. Both noses went down to the footprints in the snow. These footprints were very fresh. One eye ran ahead cautiously, his mate at the heels. The broad pads of the feet were spread wide and in contact with the snow, were like velvet. One eye caught sight of a dim movement of white in the midst of the while. His sliding gait had been deceptively swift, but it was nothing to the speed at which he now ran. Before him was bounding the faint patch of white he had discovered. They were running along a narrow alley flanked on either side by a growth of young spruce. Through the trees, the mouth of the alley could be seen, opening out into a moonlit glade. Old One-Eye was rapidly overhauling the fleeing shape of white. Bound by bound he gained, and now he was upon it. One leap more, and his teeth would be sinking into it. But that leap was never made. High in the air, and straight up soared the shape of a white, now a struggling, snowshoe rabbit, 
that leaped and bounded, executing a fantastic dance above him in the air and never once returning to earth. One eye sprang back with a snort of sudden fright and then shrank down to the snow and crouched, snarling threats at the thing of fear he did not understand. But the she-wolf coolly thrust past him. She poised for a moment and then sprang for the dancing rabbit. She too soared high, but not so high as the quarry, and her teeth clipped emptily together with a metallic snap. She made another leap, and another. Her mate slowly relaxed from his crouch and was watching her. He now evinced displeasure at her repeated failures, and himself made a mighty spring upward. His teeth closed around the rabbit, and he bore it back to earth with him. But at the same time, there was a suspicious crackling movement beside him, and his astonished eye saw a young spruce sapling bending down above him to strike him. His jaws let go their grip, and he leaped backwards to escape this strange danger. His lips drawn back from his fangs, his throat snarling, every hair bristling with rage and fright. And in that moment, the sapling reared its slender length upward, and the rabbit soared, dancing in the air again. The she-wolf was angry. She sank her fangs into her mate's shoulder in reproof, and he, frightened, unaware what constituted his new onslaught, struck back ferociously, and in still greater fright, ripping down the side of the she-wolf's muzzle. For him to resent such reproof was equally unexpected to her, and she sprang upon him in snarling indignation. Then he discovered his mistake and tried to placate her, but she proceeded to punish him roundly until he gave over all attempts at placation. and whirled in a circle, his head away from her, his shoulders receiving the punishment of her teeth. In the meantime, the rabbit danced above them in the air. The she-wolf sat down in the snow, old one-eye now more in fear of his mate than the mysterious sapling again sprang for the rabbit. As he sank back with it in between his teeth, he kept his eye on the sapling. As before, it followed him back to earth. He crouched down under the impending blow, his hair bristling, but his teeth still keeping hold of the rabbit. But the blow did not fall. The sapling remained bent above him. When he moved, it moved and he growled at it through his clenched jaws. When he remained still, it remained still, and he concluded it was safer to continue remaining still. Yet the warm blood of the rabbit tasted good in his mouth. It was his mate that relieved him from the quandary in which he found himself. She took the rabbit from him, and while the sapling swayed and teetered threateningly above her, she calmly gnawed off the rabbit's head. 
At once, the sapling shot up, and after that, gave no more trouble. Remaining in the decorous and perpendicular position in which nature had intended it to grow. And then, between them, the she-wolf and one-eye devoured the game which the mysterious sapling had caught for them. There were other runaways and alleys where rabbits were hanging in the air, and the wolf pair prospected them all, the she-wolf leading the way, an old one-eye following and observant, learning the method of robbing snares, a knowledge destined to stand him in good stead in the days to come. And that's the end of part two, chapter one. Coming up on our Saturday night stream, we will continue with White Fang. It's chapter two called The Lair. (laughs) All right, we'll have that for you coming up in our next stream on Saturday night. That is going to do it for us. Thank you so much for joining. And don't forget to follow or subscribe. You'll also find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, all the podcast platforms. Just look for The Jay Sheldon Show and give us a follow and subscribe over there, too. We really appreciate it. Free for you. Helps the show out a lot. And uh, thank you. I'll see you again Saturday night. Enjoy, everybody. This is The Jay Sheldon Show. Good night. (laughs) 